her many stories that center around a room number, a hotel, a dorm, an apartment building, a room in a house where murder, hauntings, suicide, and other ill happenings have occurred. We explore that with the room 733, and so we begin. The Suicide Room. That's what they called room 733, as if it didn't have enough to worry about on my first day as a freshman. We had been assigned to dorm 734, which, as it turns out, wasn't one of the nice add-on rooms in the South Hall. No, we found ourselves in the older wing of the building on the 7th floor. I wasn't too bummed, though. At least they'd honored my request to let me room with my best friend. Lydia and I spent most of the morning moving ourselves in. By the time our resident advisor came by, I was taping posters and Lydia was reading. Hi, girls, I'm Beth, chirped a bubbly blonde girl as she bounded into our room. I'll be your RA this year. Hi, I nodded at her. Wow, you girls really work fast, she said, taking in the ma- our maid beds and hung up clothes. Beth and I picked a drawing of Cthulhu that Lydia had done over the summer. She turned it sideways, studying it. Is this the Kraken from Pirates of the Caribbean? Lydia glared at her over the top of her book. So anyway, the RA continued, I know our hall isn't as new as the South Hall, but trust me, there's a lot of history here. This building's almost 60 years old. Yeah, I can see that looking around. The rooms are pretty small. Well, the people were smaller in the 50s, Beth shrugged. Really? Lydia said flatly. Yep, really. Beth pursed her lips and just continued to stand there while the room filled with awkward silence. So, I said, the corner room next to us, 733, is it? Looks a lot bigger than our room. Is anyone assigned to that room? Or could we maybe... Oh, you don't want that room, Beth interrupted. There were a couple of suicides in there, a hanging and a jumper, if I remember right. They're not assigning anyone to that room. Anyway, i just like to remind you that this is an all-girls floor and guys are not allowed here up after 11. Before we could reply to her, Beth clapped her hands and with a quick, Well, nice meeting you, she skipped off out of the room. Lydia dropped her book onto the bed and stared into the hall. I hate her. Did you hear that bomb she fucking dropped? I'm going to call her dumb shit Beth. Lydia, seriously, suicides? Yeah, but in the same room? Lydia sighed. Who really cares? It's not our room. Yeah, I mean, I guess. I turned in to study the little window in our room. Can you imagine climbing out of that tiny window and jumping? You'd be alive at least five seconds before you hit the ground. Oh, fuck, Becca. Can you not? Lydia glanced at the window, visibly shuddered. You know I fucking hate heights, and just talking about that shit is raising my blood pressure. We could always move into the suicide room, I teased her. That one's window has a, has a window on each wall. Fuck you. Okay, okay, but seriously, think about it. I would take a lot of commitment to squeeze out of that tiny window. Yeah, well, remember, people were apparently smaller back then, Lydia said as she pushed her bed further from the window. Since Lydia was outgoing and friendly person, we made friends at lightning speed. There were a lot of parties in those first few weeks, at one of which Lydia inevitably met a guy. I'd known the girl since we were in diapers, and I fully anticipated her having a boyfriend by the end of September. His name was Mike, and he wasn't anything special, just her standard frat-pledged douche canoe. So after about a month on campus, the novelty of college started wearing off. Lydia and I found our stride, and we spent more weekends studying than drinking. Midterms were coming up in a couple weeks, and I was determined to maintain a 4.0 GPA throughout my freshman year. One night in early October, I was woken by a loud, grinding sound. I sat up in bed and strained to hear it again. Lydia was so wide awake and listened. It was still wide awake and listening. Slam. What the fuck? She mouthed to me. It wasn't unusual for there to be noise in the hallway since other people came in and out at all hours of night. But this sound had definitely come from next door. The corner room. Grind. Is that? Yeah, Lydia whispered. That's the window next door. At Lydia's insistence, we kept our window closed at all times. However, there was no mistaking the sound of the window at 7.33 being open and closed again at regular intervals. Slam. Who was in there? Lydia shrugged. Is someone fucking with us? Is this like intention? Like some kind of initiation? Lydia raised her eyes at me. 
Initiation to what? I don't know, college? Maybe they're hazing the freshmen? Grind, it opened. Who's phasing freshmen? Slam. I, I shrugged. Becca, I love you, but that was fucking stupid. I threw a pillow at her. Well, whoever it is, go tell them to knock the fuck off. Me? I'm not risking being thrown out the window. Grind. Well, I'm not doing it. I'm an art major. You're a political science major. You go lay down the law. Fuck that. Then call dumb shit Beth. Isn't this the kind of nonsense she should deal with? Slam. I'm not calling her. Don't you put that evil on me. Fine, Lydia whispered loudly. Then we'll just have to ignore it. I have class at 7.30 a.m., I whispered. Grind. Then do something. I got out of bed and stomped the floor. Into the door. Threw it open dramatically and went down the hall to pound on the door. The room at 7.33 which simply said, Supply room. People are trying to sleep. Please fucking stop. When I said there was no answer, slam. Dude, seriously? I sighed. I stepped back from the door and immediately noticed a problem. 7.33 was padlocked shut from the outside. I hurried back to my room. What happened? Lydia asked. I'm not going anywhere near that fucking room again. It's locked from the outside. I don't know how anyone could get in there. So you're saying it's a spooky ghost? She laughed. No, I'm saying there's creepy shit going inside a room that's colloquially called the suicide room. Lydia scoffed and rolled over to go back to sleep. You should have been a drama major. We didn't hear that window door next door again that night, but the next morning you could clearly see from the outside that both windows of the corner were now wide open. I watched the windows on, on the room 733 for your entire weekend. They remained open. Occasionally at night, I could, thought I could hear the noise next door, like marbles dropping and rolling across the floor. Since it never woke up Lydia, I didn't bother to say anything. One afternoon, I was alone in the dorm editing notes on my laptop, and I had my headphones in, but the music wasn't loud enough to cover the noise of someone knocking on the door. Come in, I said without looking up from the screen. A moment went by, and then I heard something knocking again. I jerked my earbuds out and slammed the laptop closed. I turned and go, come. What the fuck? The door to the hallway was wide open. I'd left it open on purpose since Ian, a junior was I was dating, was supposed to be stopping by. I heard the knocking again from behind me and literally jumped out of my chair. It had come from the other side of the room, the closet door. It was the closet I shared to the wall, 733. Lydia, you're not fucking funny. Nothing. Lydia, I swear to God, I will punch you in the face. Silence. I walked over to the closet door and grasped the handle. Lydia, you're a fucking... A fucking what? Her voice came from the doorway behind me. I let go of the door and I'm a stumble back, wide-eyed. Lydia threw her stuff on the bed and turned to me, crossing arms. I'm a fucking what? I thought you were hiding in the closet, I said lamely. What? Why? Because someone was knocking on the door. Jesus, Becca. Lydia rubbed her forehead and walked over to the closet, throwing the door open. There was nothing there but clothes and boxes. She made a swipe of her arm and said, what now? I swear. Becca. There's no one here. I know what I heard. We glared at each other until our little staff was interrupted by the timely arrival of Ian. He immediately sensed the tension in the room. Hi, ladies. What's new? I gave my roommate a hostile look. There's strange shit going on in a room next door, but that's not new. Which room? 735 or the empty one? The empty one, Lydia emphasized. 733. I'm not surprised. That's the suicide room. Right. We heard about the deaths. I sat down on my bed. Yeah, it's pretty fucked up. Three suicides all in one dorm room. Three? Lydia raised eyebrow. We were told about two. Well, there were a couple people in the seventies, and some guy about ten years ago. He jumped out the window. Lydia and I both shuddered. So she was much worse. We we're both terrified of heights. A falling death was about the worst thing I could think of. I will admit, three suicides in the same dorm was fucking disturbing. Lydia said in an apologetic tone. Yeah, I heard there was something in that room. Like what? No one knows. But every year, someone has a new theory. Usually, right around Halloween, something gets published in the campus paper. Whatever's in there, though, it ain't friendly. So has anyone ever killed themselves in the neighboring rooms like this one? Nah, just 733. Honestly, I was surprised when I heard they were opening the North Hall this year. I told us the biggest incoming freshman class in 20 years, I said absentmindedly. Yeah, I heard that too. You could request a room change. 
then sat down on the bed next to me, and I leaned against his shoulder. Yeah, but it wouldn't it wouldn't keep us together. Lydia cut in. Beck and I have been best friends for fifteen years. We can't room with other people. So we should keep living here next to Satan. I glanced at the closet door again. Lydia shrugged. At least we'll have some stories to tell after graduation. These are not the kind of stories I want to tell. A few days after Lydia, Lydia began to believe my closet story, I woke up in the middle of the night to the sound of someone whispering. I looked over at Lydia, who was already staring at me with wide eyes. She slowly brought a finger to her lips. I listened intently, trying to hear what the voice was trying to say and where it was coming from, but I couldn't understand even one word. I got out of my bed and tiptoed over to Lydia's. The whispering was definitely louder over there. When she shared the wall with she, then she shared the wall with 733. I listened harder. Never taken mouths of fools. What the hell? Lydia leaned over and put her up to the wall. The whisper suddenly stopped and I leaned closer. There was suddenly a loud bang from the other side. Lydia immediately recoiled and clutched her ear in pain. Someone was in there. Suddenly more angry than scared, I threw her again. I opened our door and stomped over the supposedly empty supply room. I banged on the door loudly, not caring who else I woke up at this point. Are you fucking kidding me? I yelled, this shit isn't funny. We're coming out of that fucking room, you asshole. Silence. And then the doorknob started to turn. I don't know what I expected to happen, but it wasn't that. I backed up so far from the door that I ran to the opposite wall, and when the handle started to turn all the way down, something started to push from the other side. The door groaned loudly, but the locks held. I held my breath until the pressure of the door subsided and the handle slowly returned to its normal position. I noticed Lydia peeking her head out of her room. She held her hands up and said, What the hell happened? Something thinks, someone thinks they're funny, I answered her out loud. She shook her head and disappeared back into her room. I knelt down on the floor and brought my head down to the carpet, peering under the door crack. It was the first time I'd seen it in the corner room. Room 733 was definitely a supply closet. There were chairs stacked along one wall and bed frames along the other. A few rotating mat rotting mattresses were piled under one of the windows, and a thick layer of dust covered everything in the room. The windows were absolutely huge, which was something you couldn't really tell by looking up at the building. They were just open, all, as always, and I could see, definitely see someone could easily climb through them to the outside ledge. The room didn't look like it had been disturbed in a couple of decades, which sent a shudder racking through my body. The moonlight, which had been providing enough light to see into the room, suddenly vanished, and I only saw pitch black inside. I blinked rapidly as trying to adjust my night vision. I squeezed my eyes shut and then opened them. Large yellow eye was looking back at me, only a few inches away from my face on the other side of the door. I screamed and woke up half the dorm. There was no denying that things were escalating. The next morning, Lydia and I put in a dorm change request with resident services and hoped for the best. In the meantime, we agreed to never be alone in our dorms at night. Either we spent the night at home or neither of us did. We stared at most of our nights with respect to boyfriends. I told Ian everything that happened. He suggested maybe I talk to the campus paranormal society. I hesitantly made an appointment and Lydia and I met with a small cleanly dressed kid named Craig and four of his colleagues the following Tuesday. We told them everything we could remember. Every incident, no matter how small, Craig and the other four members of the paranormal society sat quietly and took notes for half an hour. It wasn't until we finished and everyone spoke that Craig said, Is that all? Yes, I said slowly. Would you mind waiting out in the hall for a few minutes so that I may confer with my colleagues? Sure, Lydia smiled indulgently, and we stood up. Whatever you need. The door was barely shut behind us, and Lydia snorted, rolled her eyes. Let's go. Go where, I asked. Are you serious? Lydia, come on, we need help. I am freaking out. We haven't stayed one night in our dorm since Thursday, and this is something we can't brush off. Okay, she threw her hands up. Let's hear what they have to say. Then we go over to resident services and check on our move request. We loitered out in the hallway for another 50 minutes before Craig came out and asked come back and take a seat. With all the pomp and circumstance of a meeting in Parliament, Craig cleared his throat and made his diagnosis. 
What you're dealing with, ladies, is a very angry ghost. Is that your professional opinion, Craig? Lydia said I shot her a look. Yes, he stuttered, a vengeful spirit. A spirit, I, I very much doubted that's what we've been dealing with. Yes, answered one of the non-Craigs. That's ghost to the layperson. Jesus Christ. Lydia groaned and rubbed her temples. Mistaking his lady's first shame of despair, Craig rushed over to right into his speech. Don't be afraid, ladies. We're going to take care of you. It's true that spirits can be quite a headache if you don't know how to exercise them. Which is good because you came to us. Suicides almost always result in angry ghosts. They need revenge. Revenge on whom, I asked. On other students. Perhaps a particular spirit was bullied into taking his own life and now seeks to torment others. Ah, uh, listen. We can take care of this for you right away. All we ask is a small donation to the society, Craig continued. We honestly didn't realize the room was having this much activity. It's very, really exciting. Great. Well, thank you for your time, Lydia said as she grabbed my hand and pulled me out of the chair. Do you want to set up something for this weekend? Craig asked. Tell you what, we'll call you. Lydia heard me out of the room, wearing a weary, weary look that didn't speak again until we were almost to the admin building. That was a waste of time, she said. Look, I'm not disagreeing with you, but... Becca, tell me you didn't honestly buy into that. So you don't think it's a... Uh, I was having trouble even saying the word. It sounded so ridiculous. Ghost? Well, I don't fucking know, but neither do they. That guy had no idea what the fuck he was talking about. Well, I don't fucking know, but neither do they. That guy had no idea what the fuck he was talking about. Well, I pulled my hood lower and my eyes as we stepped into the line at the resident services desk. Let me put it this way, Lydia continued. They're playing Ghostbusters. We're living the fucking exorcist. Fine, I sighed. Then what do you want to do? I just keep sleeping. I just keep sleeping at Mike and Ian's until we get reassigned. I just want this to end. Lydia crossed her arms and stared straight ahead. We all wanted this to end. Even if living next to that fucking room wasn't scary, it sure as hell was distracting. All right, well... I mean, we're probably safe during daylight hours, so as long as we don't spend nights there, we should be okay. Our room is only a ghost adjacent, after all. Our new assignments will come soon. I checked my watch. Fuck. It's almost two. Shit, really? I gotta go. Mike accepted to Sigma Chi. Sigma Chi, and he's already getting initiated today. Yeah, yeah. Well, I forgot he'd rushed. The girl at the desk waved us forward. I hadn't realized we'd reached the front of the line. Let me know what they say, Lydia said as she ran out the door. The girl at the desk eyed me suspiciously as I approached. Hi, I'm... You're the girl trying to move out of uh, 734 and Riley, aren't you? She caught me off guard. Yeah, one of them. How'd you know? Sorry, I overheard you. I saw your file across my desk a few days ago. And I got asked, why are you looking to transfer rooms exactly? I was tired. I was beaten down. I didn't have the energy to think of a lot because shit is going on in an empty room next door. It's really freaking us out. Noises, whispers, knocking. The other night I saw someone. You saw someone? Yeah, in room 733. Yeah, I looked under the door. There was definitely someone in there. The girl narrowed her eyes on me for a moment and then nodded for no particular reason. Well, your rooms aren't ready yet, but I pushed them through as a priority. For now, you're going stuck, though. There's just anywhere else to put you. I sighed and said I figured as much. I'm Alice, she continued. Look, I've actually done a lot of research on that Riley suicides, and I think I can help you, or at least offer some insight. Really? I asked hesitantly. Absolutely. I'm in Taylor Hall, room 310. I'll be back to my dorm by 4 p.m. today. Thanks. We just came from the Paranormal Society on campus. Ugh, say no more, Alice will rise. Yeah. So I'll definitely see you at 4 Great, Alice said and then smiled. I was early to Taylor, but and she was so was she. I told her story for the second time that day, and Alice wasn't afraid to interrupt with questions, though her queries didn't betray her thoughts. When I was finished, she leaned back in her chair and sighed deeply. I can't believe it, she shook her head. I've always heard rumors, but I honestly doubt any of it was true. I can assure you everything I told you is absolutely true. And how is it now when you're there? We weren't there every night, but during the day we heard scratching on the wall, really quiet whispering, and sometimes we could hear the window opening and closing in broad fucking daylight. However, every time I look up from the street, the windows to 733 are open. 
Alice nodded. Well, for the record, I don't think you're in any danger. As much as it sucks, you guys are simply a casualty. You just need to stay out of room. 733. I snorted. Are you fucking kidding? I would never go in there. I believe you. I believe that. But this thing is, whatever it is, it's tricky, manipulative, a liar, and it's smarter than you. I'll try not to be offended by that. You shouldn't be. What do you think it is? Something very old and very evil. I regarded her skeptically and then let my eyes wander around the room. I hadn't really noticed the decor, but before to say Alice had an interest in the occult was an understatement. I can't see any situation where I'd be compelled to enter that room. I know, but you have to be prepared. There may come a time when you have to make a decision about entering that room. Because what you're dealing with has already killed five people. Five? I thought there were three. Yeah, well, not everyone is inclined to do the level of research I do. Let's say there was Ellen Burham in 1961. She jumped out of the window. She was the first, and then Ted... Had Collinsworth in 1968. He jumped too. Marissa Grigg in 1975. She hung herself. Erin Murphy in 1979. She jumped. And then Eric Dowston in 1992. He hung himself. Uh, five suicides. How could the university still let people live there? They don't, apparently. That's why it's a supply room. And back then, well, every few years, once everyone you remember had graduated, the room would be reassigned. That was before the internet, you know, and incoming freshmen were clueless. But after that last one, Eric Dowston, they cl- closed their entire North Hall for the seventh floor and built more rooms into the South Hall. So, what does it want? Alice shrugged. Chaos, death, souls, who knows? No one even knows what it is. Okay, so what do we do now? We know that it's somehow bound to that room, though it seems to have a minimal influence just outside of it. We know that everyone who ever died was alone at the time, and we know that it's a trickster. That's what we know. It wasn't enough. Why do you think they do it? I asked quietly. The victims? I nodded. All I know is it's rumored to be in the evidence files is all the suicides were found with pictures or writings that were considered unspeakable at the time. They contained horrible, evil things that would make you physically sick to read or say, as described. And these people, they drew them, they wrote the stuff? Yep, whatever was in that room drove them mad. That's fucking terrifying. Have you guys considered getting someone to bless the room? Jesus. Well, you have a hard time getting him, but perhaps some other sort of holy person? No, I mean, Jesus, you're talking about an exorcism, Alice shrugged. Well... Maybe. The rumor in the 70s that it's all started with a Ouija board game gone wrong in 1961. Really? That shit's made by Hasbro. Not in the 60s it wasn't. Anyway, that's just a rumor. The only person on campus who knows is, uh, who, who would know is Tom Moen, an admin. I've tried to talk to him before, but he just refuses to see me. Did he go here in 1961? Yes, and he was staying in Riley. You need to talk to him. I need to know what the fuck is happening. I won't be able to live the rest of my life as a well-adjusted person. I suppose we could try to chase him down on campus. Can we talk to him tomorrow? We can try. Mr. Moen wouldn't say us that day or the next. We tried to catch him on his lunch hour and then again while he was leaving work, but he got around us every time. I was soon clear that the old man was actively avoiding us. Lydia and I had seen little of each other since we continued to sleep in other dorms. I went back to our room twice a day, once in the morning and once in the afternoon. Usually the room was silent, but that didn't make me feel better. I could always sense something on the other side of the wall, somehow watching me. It felt like the calm before the storm. Thursday before Halloween, I came back to the dorm to shower in the evening. Much later than usual, I had seen Lydia that afternoon, and she informed me that she had enough clothes stored at Mike's to last until graduation, so I knew I'd be there alone. I showered down in the hallway in the safety of the bathrooms and then walked back to my room to change. I was supposed to meet Ian in half an hour to head out to a party, and I wanted to get out of there as soon as possible. Since the silence was unnerving me, I threw my iPod on the docking station and turned up ACDC. I got dressed and stood in front of the mirror to dry my hair. I flipped my head over and blow my, I tried upside down and tried to give my hair some volume. When I flipped my head back and shut off the blow dryer, I immediately noticed the signs in the room. But that wasn't all I noticed. I wasn't in my dorm anymore. 
Behind me was reflected the dusty bed frames and large open windows of room 733. I spun around in a panic to find I was actually standing in my own room. I looked back in the mirror to see the 7033 was still reflected there. A slight movement behind me was all it took to make me run. I grabbed my purse and phone and fled my room, slamming the door behind me. On the elevator ride down, I called Alice. I can't do it anymore. And then when she picked up, I can't go back to that room again. I can never go back. What happened? And I told her. Jesus, what do you want me to do? She asked. I need to talk to someone who knows what the fuck is going on. Is Tom Moen the only person we know that was here in 1961? The only one I know of. Maybe we can get him on, on his way tomorrow morning. But as Corey refuses to move until he tells us something. He comes in at 6.33, according to the schedule I have. Do you want me to meet outside the Starbucks in the atrium? Fuck yeah, I do. I have a class 7.30, but I'll blow it off. Okay, see you then. I wasn't usually much for parties, but I was glad I was going to one that night. As soon as we got there, I asked Ian to get me a drink. Since I was usually much of a drinker, he gave me a raised eyebrow. I gave him a brief synopsis of what had happened earlier, hoping he wouldn't think I was crazy. He gave me a spot of scotch and coke, and it was the first of many. Around midnight, I would have a cigarette and check my phone. I had a voicemail from Lydia left at 11.04. Hey, Becca, listen, I just, uh, I had a huge fucking fight with Mike, and, well, he, I guess his friend decided that Halloween this year, all the new brothers have to spend a night in the suicide room in our dorm. I just... I can't fucking take it. He knows what's been going on with us, and I still agree to do this. He's not trying to convince me that Sigma Kai is behind all the stuff in 733 because they've been trying to drum up buzz for the Halloween deal. I just can't. It ended through my phone in my bag. No wonder Lydia was pissed. This was not good. Not good at all. I found Ian inside and asked him to take me home. I was suddenly very stressed and very tired and very drunk. When the alarm went off at 6 a.m., it took everything I could to pull myself out of bed. I dressed in the clothes I wore the night before and shuffled my way across campus to the atrium. Alice was already there with a black coffee in hand. I figured you'd need this, she laughed. How'd you know? Your text. I texted you last night? Yeah, about one. You told me about Sigma Chi. Oh, God. Yeah, I pushed my sunglasses higher on my nose and pulled my hood lower over my eyes. Those guys are idiots. Remember I told you how it's crafty? Well, that's the point of messing with you is to make 7033 provocative, you know, seduce people into going outside. Inside. No one has been in that room for years. Can you imagine how hungry that thing is? Do you think they're really at risk, I asked, as I sat down on the steps to the admin building. Yeah, in fact, the only thing they have going for them is that the little suicide victims were alone at the time of their deaths. So it'll be less powerful with them all there? Theoretically, we would know a lot more if we knew what it was, but we can't know it is without knowing how it got there, and that's why we need Moen. What time is he supposed to get here? Actually, 20 minutes ago, she said grimly. It was half an hour before he resigned herself to the fact that Mr. Moen had snuck around as usual. I went to the front office hoping to beg again for an appointment with him anyway. The woman at the admin desk regarded us coldly. Tom isn't coming in today, or any other day for that matter. He quit yesterday. Look what, you won't be harassing him anymore. We weren't harassing him, I said. We were desperately needed to talk to him. We still knew, do, be added Alice. Well, you won't get any of this personal information from me. She just nidling and walked away. What the fuck do we do now, I asked Alice. Without Tom Owen, there's nothing left to do. Alice, fuck, I can't go back to that room. Well then, I guess it's good your transfers came through. They did? Yep. I got the notice when I checked my work email this morning. You're going to Morton and Lydia's going to Tinsley. Oh, thank God. I thought you'd be happy about that. I could have missed. I also convinced my boss not to assign anyone else to room 734. Thank fuck. The only thing you won't be able to move until Monday. I can last through the weekend, especially now that the end is in sight. I have to tell Lydia. I opened my phone to pull Lydia's number up. My attention was caught by the red one badge over the voicemail logo. I hit play. It was the rest of the message from last night. Even look look at his dumb fucking face anymore. I'm going to go home. Don't worry about me. I'll be okay. I'm drunk enough to sleep through any bullshit from next door. I'm so fucking pissed off right now. I honestly would rather deal with dumb shit Beth and Mike. Michael, my pants must be siblings because I'm that fucking retarded Benson. Let's hang out tomorrow. Love ya. The message ended. 
God damn it. Alice gave me a question with Lydia spent the night in our dorm room. Alice cringed. She's safe though, right? As long as she doesn't go into 733, she won't, I thought. Of the always open large windows of the corner room. If nothing else is the mere thought of those who keep Lydia inside the hell out, uh, inside our room and a hell out of that room. Good. Well, since we have nothing else to do, do you want to go look for theology books in the library? It's pretty much the only thing open right now. Sure, I shrugged. I didn't have another class till 10. The old lady behind the library desk must have been around 1,000 years old. Miss Stapley's eyes were small and watery, but her skin looked like it was melting off her skull. Until she was nice and knowledgeable, and she sent us in the right direction for our books on demonology, though she gave us a curious look as she did. It wasn't much, but everything we read wasn't relevant or wasn't in English. We returned to her desk 30 minutes later. Do you have anything on the occult? The occult? Well, ah, uh, her voice trailed off. Yes, I do. Over there, to the left of the reference section. Oh, thanks. I'm sorry. I'm too hungover to use the Dewey Decimal System, I said. I don't I don't think she likes the look of us. Alice whispered as we walked away. Her look or the subject matter? Probably neither. Within the hour, we were back up at her desk, having struck out again. We could tell she was getting annoyed, and her eyes narrowed suspiciously as we approached. I'm oh, sorry. Do you know we can find something on seances or Ouija boards or... Now listen, girls. Miss Stapley pulled up from her desk and looked at her glasses. I really hope this is for her class. It is? It's not, Alice answered simultaneously. It's personal research. Research? What kind of research? Look, we're not going to mess with a Ouija board or anything. I said, good, Miss Stapley's smoothed her pleated pants aside down because I can't have that sort of thing going on here again. Again, Alice lashed on. The older woman suddenly looked uncomfortable, started fidgeting with a stack of books on her desk. We have something in seances in Miss Stapley. We're researching what happened in Riley in 1961, Alice interrupted, and what's also been happening there ever since. Well, it's not a secret, is it? A student committed suicide in room dreadful, but not unheard of on a university campus. Five students, I corrected her. But you know that, right? Alice suddenly talking fast, because you sound like you're well-versed in the story. Please tell us how it started so we might be able to end it. End it? Miss Stapley's voice became quieter and more concentrated. Don't be so arrogant, young lady. You can't end it. People have always died in that room. They always will. There's no end to it, so you best stay far away from it. But maybe if we knew how this all started... It started just as you think it did, but everyone who was involved is either old or very dead by now. Just stay out of that room. Concentrate on your studies. I leaned over her desk. Well, I'd love to, but they assigned my friend and I to the room next door. Maybe you can figure out all the suicides, but we can't. They won't fucking let us. Young lady, I never forget. Miss Stapley's voice is even quieter now. My friend Ellen was the very first to be killed in that room. She was my very best friend, and not, not a night goes by that I don't imagine her wiggling out of that window, standing on that cold ledge and her bare feet jumping off the seventh floor of that building. Alice sighed. I, I'm very sorry. I didn't know. Well, that's well. These are old wounds, my dear. Now, girls, I suggest you request a room assignment assignment immediately. No one should be living in the seventh floor of that building, and that's all I'm going to tell you about it. Alice sighed and resigned herself to a nod. We wouldn't learn anything more there, but still quite a breakthrough. At least we have some information now. Alice walked away, and I made to follow her, but my feet wouldn't move. Something was bothering me. A small yet poignant word had been buried in Miss Staple's story. A word that suddenly seemed very important. Uh, Miss Stapley, I said, the tired old woman at this. Why do you refer to the windows in 733 as tiny? Because I've seen those windows, and they're huge, like five feet tall. Here, you're thinking of the corner room. That's the supply closet. 733 is next door to that. No, 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 I stuttered. That's room 734. Well, yes. It is now. When they built additional rooms in the south hall, they all moved all the numbers down. Oh, God. I suddenly felt very hot and very dizzy. That sneaky fucker Alice whispered to me, her skin paling. Lydia. We took off across the campus at a dead run witnessed only by the few bleary-eyed students on their way to morning classes. When Riley finally came to interview, I stumbled on the pavement as my blood turned ice, and from our vantage point we could see the windows of the 
corner room were closed. The first and only time I'd seen it that way, and the window of my room was open. We ran into the lobby, pushing past several latte-sipping, ugg-boot-wearing freshmen who had just gotten into the elevator. Hit seven, watched the doors close more slowly than I ever had before. I leaned against the wall, trying to steady my breathing. Alice, how the fuck did this happen? I don't know. I don't fucking know. She's been in there all night, Alice, in our room, alone. Alice shook her head, but had nothing to say. When the doors finally opened on seven, we saw a quiet, deserted hallway. I ran toward my room with Alice behind me, rounding a corner. I threw my door open, hoping it wasn't locked, and it wasn't. Lydia looked back at me, and for the breathless moment, a cruel glimmer of hope crossed over her tear-streaked face, but it was too late. The next second, she leaned forward so slightly she was gone, and she screamed the entire way down. Alice ran to the ledge where Lydia had just been while I stood motionless, and she struck her head out of the window, stuck her head out of the window, and just a different kind of screaming started from the bottom floor. Alice closed her hand over her mouth and pulled her head back to the room as tears of shock ran down her ghost-white face. The screaming from outside got louder as more people saw what remained of my best friend on the cold pavement. I leaned back in the dresser and slumped to the floor. A falling death. Lydia never wanted a falling death. I absentmindedly picked up one of the pictures that were strewn on the floor. It was a picture of Lydia's mother. She was dead. I picked up another picture. It was Lydia's babysitter. Sister. She was dead, too. There were dozens of pictures like that all over the floor. Lydia had been busy that night. As the, the things depicted in them, I cannot tell you. Lydia was a talented artist, and I saw a few before I got sick to the, on the floor next to me. I was standing in the doorway yelling something down the hall. I don't know what she was saying because all I could hear was the high-pitched whine in the room and suddenly a piece of paper slid under the crack of the closet door and glided across the floor towards me. I picked up and studied it for a moment. It was drawn by Lydia too, but it wasn't like the others. It was a picture of the closet from my exact vantage point. It was a drawing of the door had cracked and there was something looking back from the darkness. I put the paper down and studied the closet. The door was cracked open just like the picture. It squinted my eyes just to see inside and as I started to see which defined lines of a long face looking back at me, Alice pulled me to my feet need to get out of here, I thought I heard her say. I never went back into that room. My parents moved my things and I spent the rest of the semester in an apartment off campus. I transferred to an out-of-state school for my spring semester and finished my degree there. Every night I dream of Lydia pulling herself through the tiny window, shimming out of the cold ledge, standing up and knowing there's nothing between her body and the terrifying abyss in front of her. I watch her look down seven stories to the black pavement and realize, though not accept, that her terrible fate I see blind horror across her familiar features. I hear wildly pounding heart, desperately trying to race through that every beat of life she would have lived. And knowing it only has mere seconds. I watch her look back at me, and I watch her fall. It's been nine years since that night, and every fall semester for nine years I've called resident service to see which dorms have been open for student assignments. Riley's always open. The seventh floor is closed. The year life, this year life and work got in the way, and I called much later than usual, and I was put on hold immediately. Resident services, a man finally answered. Were you the one asking about the open rooms on Riley? Yes, that's me. Yes, we're entirely filled up. There's a waiting list, Riley, but as it happens, you actually have great timing. I make no promise of it. We'll be able to get you in. You, you just got approval this morning. Approval for what? We're opening the seventh floor. Well. <sighs> that is a uh, reminder that a lot of things in life... As someone who loves solitude, I get reminded that bad things always happen when you're alone, and very rarely when you have someone with you. And the things that sometimes uh, tread in the shadows that we don't want to encounter tend to prey more on those who are singled out than those who have strength, as you would call it, in numbers. But here's what you guys think, and as always, thanks and take care. <laughs>